to welcome you back this evening and thank you for being here uh, as we uh, sang that song and Brent led us in all things already come to the feast. I'm mindful that there is a, a new member dinner tonight, so I realize I'm competing against barbecue, so I got to keep it short and somewhat relevant. So uh, we are on Sunday nights in our journey with John. We have, if you're new to this or just here tonight, uh, haven't been a part of the series, we're walking through John's gospel, which has been always been personally my favorite gospel uh, because of the unique way in which John presents the story. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are great, but there's a lot of, of the same text and the same stories. And John just comes at it a little bit uh, differently. Last week we talked about the, uh, we, we kind of, as, as they began to discuss, as they began to get ready for this meal, Jesus took a knee and a towel and he began to wash his disciples' feet for the purpose of teaching them what it meant to be a disciple of the one true king. It wasn't just about power and authority and, and all of the, the excitement that they had over this coming kingdom. It was about serving and it was about modeling that example for them so that as they ushered in the new kingdom on the day of Pentecost and in the days to come to follow, uh, they would be reminded as people looked up to them, as people gave, tried to give them homage that they were not due, uh, that they would be humbled and reminded of their disciple, uh, rabbi's teaching on that very wonderful night. Now, tonight, we get into the dinner discussion. We get into this conversation that happens around the table, and it concerns... A very difficult subject that the disciples don't fully understand yet. And so I invite you to open your books and hopefully open your hearts as we come to a prepared table. A table that was prepared well in advance of this meeting that they're having. Uh, but the disciples didn't know that. But I think over the last thousand days of Jesus' ministry, uh, as he set out resolutely towards Jerusalem, he knew that the time around the table would come. As we, as we turn there, I want you to think, now of course we understand, hopefully, that they weren't gathered around a table like this. Uh, the, the, the table that they gathered around was a much lower height. Probably something like what you'd see back in the geography room of the kids. You see all these little short little tables, but, oh, that's a good reason. There's a bunch of short little people in there. Um, but th- th- this style of table was not in, by any means, the regular means of, of having a meal. But I want to use this to call you to a prepared table because sometimes we can just gloss over this text tonight. Say, so, well, that was just only for them. And yes, there were some lessons that they were to learn. But I think we too, if we pay attention, uh, can learn some valuable lessons as we gather to the table. So. In your mind, in your heart, I hope that you'll come to the table that's been prepared for you and do it with the reasons that Jesus had, not only for us, but for his disciples in John chapter 13. Our text tonight is, as I said, John chapter 13. It's going to start in verse 18 verse, uh, through verses 38 is where we will, we will be tonight. And before I read that, because the first main character is Judas. And Judas is 
got some interesting characteristics. I've done a, a message on Judas before, so I, I'm not going to repeat all of that. But a couple of things. First, Judas is always listed last. When you, whenever there's a list in Matthew, Mark, or Luke, uh, it's ended with you know, Judas who betrayed him. Or it ends with uh, a Judas Iscariot who became a traitor. Uh, so that tells you what his, where his uh, legacy sort of went. And we know from the previous, uh, um, was it, I guess three weeks ago now, th- that his job amongst the twelve was the treasurer. He was the keeper of the money bag um, with a, a group of traveling students. They needed money to get things done for meals and probably for lodging and different things. And so he had to have a, uh, someone who could keep track of all that. And in the story of Mary's gift, remember the nard, remember passing that around and the, the smell uh, that it that made and the odor of, and in the consideration of that gift, Judas looked at that with utter disdain. And he said, uh, in verse 5, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor, it was worth more than a year's wages? And John remarks that he didn't say that because he cared about the poor, but because he was keeper of the money bag. And, turns out, he used to help himself to what was in it. Now, whether they knew that at the time, or maybe just a few of them knew it and they talked among themselves later, and John wrote it down, I don't know. But Judas was selected by Jesus, and after this great betrayal, he really sinks to the bottom. And it's clear that the cause of that, in some form or fashion, was the greed that overtook his heart. It wasn't that the money was essentially evil. It was the love, his love for it, uh, surpassed that of Jesus. He's willing to betray his own rabbi and his good friend that he's walked with for three years for a few pieces of silver. So we can see that greed was something that he struggled with. All right, uh, let's go to John chapter 13. We're going to read verse 18. We're going to read through verse 30 as we uh, begin tonight. I'm not referring to all of you. I know those who I have chosen. But this is to fulfill the scripture, he who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I am telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. I tell you the truth, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After this, he, after he said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit, and he testified. I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another, at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter mentioned this to to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. This is a hilarious picture to me, okay? Probably just because I have that youth ministry background. So I'm imagining, you know, this teacher here with all those kids and you got the good ones and the bad ones. And you know which one's going to betray you. And you've got this one kid who never understands your illustration. He's always speaking up and he's, tell me what, ask him, what does he mean? So leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? That was John. Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. 
Then, dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. And as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered him. Now, how, I mean, was there some sort of physical manifestation of that? Or is this John's commentary on it at the moment? Was there some evidence that this has happened? The text doesn't say. But this is clearly the beginning of the end for Judas. And, well, in some ways for Jesus, too. What you are about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Jesus, uh, Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. As soon as G- Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. Okay, there's so much good stuff that John kind of puts these breadcrumbs in the text as we go along. But uh, the table, as we think about coming to this table that we do every week, and, and, and please hear me when I say this, what I'm about to say. I think what we do very every week coming to this table is important and memorable, and it should cause us to, to recenter on the life of Christ, the death of Christ, It should cause us to reflect on who we are and where we are in the body of Christ. Not just the body of Christ that was on the cross, but the body of Christ, you and I. I think that's very important, and that's why we do it every week. However, when we do it every week, there is this danger. And it's the danger that we all know, certainly if you've been a Christian for many, many years. It is is the danger of just going through emotion without thinking of the meaning of partaking of the unleavened bread and partaking of the fruit of the vine without giving much more than a passing thought toward what you're doing. Now, in the same way, the disciples, for the past thousand days, I'm sure, had had many meals with Jesus some as they're walking through a field going from one town to another. Some as, they're, uh, as he's very popular. Some in the early days when they probably had no money and, and very little means to sustain themselves. They've had a lot of meals. And Jesus is trying to, to, to help them understand that this meal isn't like all the others. And he needs them to focus. Now, as from Jesus' perspective, the men around that table all bring something very different. And a couple of them that we're going to talk about tonight uh, make this meal not only very meaningful, but in a lot of ways very hard when you think about what it was that Jesus had to do. That table was prepared, first of all, for a brutal betrayer. To think that Jesus, Judas had been called by Jesus... I know whom I have chosen, he says here in the text. He will later say in John 15, verse 16, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Another scripture fulfilled is from Psalm 41, verse 9. This is something that, I'm not sure if the disciples realize this at all, but Jesus does this a lot in his teaching and his text. He will, he will throw something out that if you knew the scriptures and you understood the scriptures, you say, ah, that's where he got that from. Well, this is what he does. He quotes Psalm chapter 41, verse 9. 
And he says, uh, the psalm there says, Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Now, the context of that is that David was betrayed by his close companion, Ahithophel. And he understood, the king did, both of them, what it was like to be kicked while you're down. That, if you're interested, occurs in 2 Samuel chapter 15. David writes about this in Psalm 41, and Jesus quotes it in John 13. The devil is very real and very mean. And I believe not only did he attack Jesus in this way, but he will attack his followers in this way. And that is this. He will try to destroy you through your enemies, and he will try to destroy you by abandoning you from your friends. Jesus experienced both, we of course know. And John is foreshadowing this betrayal in every mention of Judas. You go through the entire book. You don't have to do that because I did that for you. John chapter 6, verse 64. Go, go back through some, some textual parts here. Uh, John chapter 6, verse 64. Yet there are some of you who did not believe, for Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. John chapter 6, verses 70 and 71. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Uh, earlier in the chapter that we're in, John chapter 13, we learned a couple of weeks ago the evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot. And I said here tonight that he entered Judas. But at some point where the difference between prompted and entered, uh, the, the idea here is Satan's working and is increasing his work through Judas. If you turn past where we are tonight to John chapter 17, verse 12. Jesus is praying here, and he says this, While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so that Scripture would be fulfilled. And the last mention is John chapter 18, verses 2 through 6, where John writes, Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. This is the account of it. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with the lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? And they answered, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas betrayed them, him who was standing with them. Jesus said to them, I am he. Around the table that night was Jesus' most ardent betrayal. Betrayer. The one who sold him out for just a few pieces of silver. 
who walked with him, who shared stories with him, who watched him do ministry. Presumably, he was one of the ones sent out. Did he grow into that role, or was he always that way? Jesus seems to say, you know, one of you is a devil. <laughs> See, I told you he was a youth minister. He knew. Uh, he was. He he knew his heart. He knew his weakness. Um, and so, despite all that, they had shared a lot of this time together. They had shared a lot of teaching time and learning time, and Jesus had sent them out. And and throughout all of this. Jesus knows it's going to be Judas. He's going to be the one. Later called in Scripture, the son of perdition. May we be reminded that though we didn't physically betray him like Judas did, um, we all shared in that role of betrayer. If it was our sin, and it was, that put him on the cross, uh, we play a part. John's purpose in, in going through all of this and in, in reminding us of Judas over and over and over again. Remember, John's overall purpose is John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31. These things are written that you may believe. His entire purpose from the beginning to the end is to draw us to believe in Christ himself. Now, you think about this. After Jesus' prediction of Judas' betrayal, Jesus sets this out. This is another sign. You don't understand this now, but you're going to see it. You're going to understand it. You're going to know it. And when it happens, it's yet going to be another sign that I am the one. I mean, just think about this. Jesus, Judas goes out that night. Certainly in the garden, all the disciples understood this and knew this. But when they saw that, when they saw him kiss his rabbi, which is a deep sign of affection and love and respect, and he took that beautiful sign of intimacy between a rabbi and his disciple, and he twisted it into a sign of betrayal. And when he did that that night, you know the other 11 were thinking, ah. Him. He was the one he gave the bread to. He knew. He knew. Jesus knew who would betray him. Jesus, by the way, could have destroyed him, could have taken him out very early, could could have not called him, but he let himself be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, not because he didn't know what Judas was doing but because he knew what needed to be done for us. In that very moment, that betrayal marked the beginning of the end. Jesus is troubled in thought. He's no doubt thinking about taking the wrath of God upon himself. The time is at hand. But don't you know, every time Jesus saw him, he knew, he remembered that his purpose was to be betrayed. For us, the eleven they, they at this time before the garden when they're still back around the table they they don't get this so Peter asks John to ask Jesus what he means Jesus hands him the bread the heal um and this is kind of to me this the reverse sign <laughs> um, when I study this a little bit the the, 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 the Practice 
of dipping the bread, dipping the bread and, and passing it to someone in this culture was something that was not an uncommon thing. It, it was something when a host had a dinner and they were gathered around, he would share the, he would share the bread with those that he was the closest to that he loved, that he wanted to honor. It was a, a sign of honor and privilege. Jesus comes to the table not just to come face to face with his enemy, but to honor him, to let him know, to let his disciples know that he knows. Jesus was in no way surprised by the one that he gave the bread to would betray him. That was long ago decided. So Satan prompts and enters Judas. And, and with such tenderness and compassion, Jesus shows Judas this, this mark of love and honor and friendship. And it's met with cold betrayal. Jesus says, what you're about to do, do quickly. Whether... Of course, the disciples didn't understand what that was about, but Judas, maybe he did. Maybe he knew he was being called out in a very tender, Jesus-like way. And as he leaves, John points out this, and we'll see it again with Peter. Verse 30, as soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. Now, again, I don't think he was just talking about the external darkness of the evening. But, but also pointing to the darkness internally of Judas's heart. All right, that, that's the big one. That's the, the main issue at the table. But there, there are some other issues that we see. I hope you're still in your Bibles. Let's go to verse 31. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I love that. I just love that. The tenderness that he shows his students. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I now tell you, Where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, by this, all men will know you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? I said I like the phrase when he called them children, because in a lot of ways they act like children. Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. It's not just the brutal betrayer. Uh, Jesus now remain, uh, addresses the remaining 11. It's, it's the faithless friends. Of course, Peter is called out because of his infamous denial, but uh, 
when push comes to shove, when Judas gives the kiss and the soldiers do what soldiers do, disciples, every single one of them, stopped following. They fled. You strike the shepherd and the sheep scatter. Jesus is, is maybe thinking about that, but he doesn't indicate so. He, he looks beyond the agony to the glory. He looks beyond the foe to his friends. Where he is going, they cannot come. I think that's clearly referring to the cross, uh, to atone for sin. Don't ever say or think that it should have been you on that cross. Oh, no. You can't even atone for your own sin. You're, I mean, if you had been on the cross, it would have been insufficient because your sacrifice would have been imperfect. No, he, only he could go to this cross. And he says later they will come, indicating the martyr's death that they will follow him by. Peter thinks he's ready to lay down his life, but he's not there yet. He was ready to protect a king. And Jesus needed him to pronounce the kingdom. So he calls them beyond loving themselves, which is what Judas did, and toward loving others. It's amazing to me, as, as Jesus is leaving the room, I'm imagining the door is shutting as he's saying these words. Love one another as I have loved you. Uh, disciples are, are, is a word for student, follower. Um, there's one simple test for a disciple of Jesus. It's not whether you go to church twice a week. It's not how much you put in the plate. It's not if you take the Lord's Supper every week. It's not even if you've been baptized. And don't misunderstand me. I, I do believe all those things are good and necessary. But Jesus says the mark of the disciple is this. By this, all men will know you're my disciples. If you love one another. It's a better kind of martyrdom. It's laying down your life by loving someone else more than you love yourself. So the table was prepared for Judas. The table was prepared for the faithless friends. And the table ultimately was prepared for all of us. Because all of us were those brutal deniers at one time or another. All of us have been faithless friends at one time or another. The time when we should have spoken up to defend Jesus but didn't. The time when we should have claimed to be with him but remained silent. The time when we could have shared his goodness, his mercy, and his grace but didn't. We've all done it. And we don't brag in that, we don't glory in that, of course, but that's who the table was prepared for. David, speaking of the Good Shepherd in Psalm 23, said this, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. He would surround himself that night at the table, at a table, with a very real enemy. You could say Judas, I would say Satan. 
who worked through Judas. In the presence of friends who would flee, and he brought him there for a purpose. Romans 5, 8 and 10, 5, 8 through 10 rather, says, God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. The table was prepared for the brutal betrayer. The table was prepared for the faithless friends. The table was prepared by looking at those two, we see all of us. You and I share the bread. Think of this next week when you partake. As you partake of the bread, that you're, you're calling yourself out. That we've all betrayed him at some point, and yet still he came to the table. Remind us of who he was, what he did, and why he came. He didn't give up on us. I thank God that he didn't. That he loved us enough to see us through our own betrayal. All right. Three quick applications. Number one, you can know about Jesus without truly knowing Jesus. And Jesus, Judas did it. He, he knew Jesus. He knew about Jesus, factually, intellectually. But in here, his heart was far from his teacher. Number two, we've all done what Judas did. That is, we've betrayed him. When you partake of the bread, may you recall how you also have betrayed him. When you partake of the cup... May you remember that it was poured out on him because of you. And number three, we can all do what Jesus didn't do, which is to repent. To turn our hearts back to our teacher and our friend. We can look and become the anti-Judas. We can look beyond ourselves and we can love others and certainly love Jesus more than ourselves. May we learn the lesson of the table, and may we not forget that when Jesus came that night, he did it for them, and he also did it for us. Tonight, I want to invite you, uh, give you a betrayer's calling. If you have betrayed Christ, and you haven't let turned toward him and repented and sought his forgiveness and his mercy, which is free and available to all, then I call you tonight. You don't have to live with the guilt and the remorse that Judas had. You don't have to live carrying your, letting all of that carry you to the grave. But you, like Peter and like the other disciples who would abandon Jesus, be called again back to the table to be reminded how much you're loved and to be reminded of how much you've been forgiven. If you need Christ tonight, then come. 
And if you've fallen away from Christ and you need our prayers and our encouragement or you need to repent, uh, the table is here. The invitation is yours. Won't you take it as together we stand and sing?